But I want you to think about a time that you had to hide from people. Have you ever had to hide from someone? For me, it was several years back. Mary and I were young Mary, a young married couple living in the Metroplex. And at our church, we hosted um, our, our, it was actually a Thursday night Bible study where folks were supposed to come to our house and, and we were, we would do our Bible study with, with uh, fellow folks from our church. And it was Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. And Mary and I decided this Valentine's Day, we went out the last Valentine's Day and try, and waited for hours to get into a restaurant. So we said, we're going to have a nice Valentine's Day at our home. And I'm going to grill steaks and Mary's going to make some, some, some stuff on the stove. I think it was some really nice bacon wrapped green beans. I remember this distinctly because of what happens. Then we were getting all ready and we get a knock on the door. Who would just pop in? Who would just show up at our door? People don't do that unannounced. And we look at each other and say, I wonder who would be here on Valentine's Day. And we realize it's our small group. Oh, no. And normally we could just say, all right, well, we can do dinner later, whatever. But we worked in downtown. We lived in Wiley. Anyway, we were gone every day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And we didn't do laundry until Saturday. This is Thursday night. And laundry is everywhere. The house was a wreck. We look at each other and said, there is no way we can let anyone in this house. No way. We would, it would be so shameful. We didn't know what to do. And so we decided the best thing we could do is, uh, just hide. (laughs) They couldn't see us. Luckily we had an entryway that they wouldn't show anyone was in there. They might've seen that there was a light on in the house, but we just hid and they knocked and knocked and knocked and we hid and my steaks burned and her bacon wrapped green beans burned because we were hiding i don't even know why we were hiding i can't see the rest of the house but we thought well what if they're going they keep persistently knocking on the on the door are they going around the windows knocking and knocking finally they left a couple years later we admitted to them that we were in the house that night i don't know if they even remembered that they were there. But has you ever had to hide from somebody? Has anyone ever had to hide from you? Have you ever denied someone face to face that you were not there? You didn't want them to see you. You didn't want to have any association with that person. All of us has probably dealt with that in our life at some point. There's, there's stories that probably hurt me deeper when I think of times when someone has denied me or hurt me, didn't acknowledge me, didn't invite me somewhere. And they invited the rest of the group. Probably we've all gone through that hurt in a little bit. Maybe some of us are guilty of being the ones that have hurt others. And that's where we are tonight, or this morning, as we go into John chapter 18. 
Jesus' closest friends in His uh, greatest hour of need are going to deny Him, going to ignore Him, going to run away from Him. So we start after Jesus has prayed this incredible a prayer of unity, a prayer of oneness, a prayer of remaining in Him. And it says in 18 verse 1, after He finished praying, Jesus left, his, left with His disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden. And He is, and His disciples went into it. Now this garden that Jesus went to, well, we know, it doesn't say it in this, in this uh, Scripture in John, but we know it as the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And if you ever uh, look to see what Gethsemane means, Gethsemane actually means the Garden of the Olive Press. And so what people did in this garden is they would go and there was this big stone that would press down on the olives and it would give, it would crush the olives and give them the olive oil that they desired. And what better place could Jesus have been as He starts the fulfillment of the Scripture of being crushed? In Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. It's here that Jesus knows exactly what's about to transpire. It's here that Jesus knows that what He's been reading about since He was a 12-year-old kid and going to the temple, through the time that He was going on through His life and seeing the prophecies in the Old Testament or just in His, in his Gospel and the Torahs and the prophets, He knew His time was that night. And he knew who was about to betray him because earlier that night he sent him off to do his work. In verse 2 it says, Now Judas who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden and guided a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Now this was no small group that Judas is leading to Jesus. When they talk about a detachment of soldiers or a cohort of soldiers, a cohort of soldiers is about 600 soldiers. Now they might not have taken all of those, but a lot of scholars would agree that there was probably about 200 soldiers or men or people that were going after Jesus because they thought going after Jesus was going to be quite a feat. They thought they were about to face a violent rebellion. They knew this man, Jesus, wielded power. And they saw just a week before how the crowds just uh, would lay the palm branches and, and, and called out Hosanna as He entered into Jerusalem. These guards, these soldiers were ready for something big. But I don't think they were ready for Jesus. I don't think they were ready for His response. And at verse 4, it shows us how Jesus knew what was about to happen. And I think protecting His disciples walks out of the garden to them. It says, Jesus, knowing all the things going to happen to Him, went out and asked them, what is it, who is it you want? 
Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They said, who do you want? And who do you want? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I am he. Except that's what they say in this translation. The actual correct translation is, Ego I me. They said, Who do you want? Jesus says, I am. And all throughout John, it's listed the I am's of John or of Jesus. When we think about the name I am, you might remember the story where Moses is asking God when he wants to free the Israelites from slavery of Egypt. He says, Who do I say send? send? Who do I say sent me? And and God tells Moses, tell them, I am sent you. And throughout John, John is showing over and over where Jesus is trying to explain what this mysterious name of God means. I am. And so as we've gone through this study, we've heard Jesus say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of the great I am. And when they called out, who do, when Jesus says, who do you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. And in the power of Jesus' name, They fall backwards because there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of our God. But we see here in verse 8, Jesus answered, I told you, I am He. If you're looking for Me, then let let these men go. This happened so the words He had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you've given me. As Jesus is confronted by this huge group of soldiers, what's on his mind? His disciples. He wants to make sure that they're safe. And he's saying, if you've come for me, let these men go. You have a man that's about to betray Jesus to give him up, one of Jesus' close friends in Judas. All Judas cares about at this time is a bag full of coins. Meaningless coins. What does Jesus care about? He cares about His disciples. Because in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds we are healed. You see, in here, we have a great contrast between Jesus and between us. So often, we act like Judas. Judas, if you think about it, he wasn't just this uh, incredibly horrible person from the outside, from what people looked at. They thought he was a pretty good guy. Matter of fact, no one suspected Judas that he was going to be the betrayer. No one knew that he was filled with greed. No one knew that he would dip his hands into the purse of Jesus and the disciples. No one knew this. But Judas struggled with greed. 
Judas struggled with selfishness. The same thing that we do. And Judas betrays our, our Lord for a measly bag of coins. Maybe greed's not the thing that you struggle with, but what do you think you might betray our Lord with? Where you choose to be selfish instead of following Him and reaching out to Him. Jesus is constantly thinking about His disciples. How He can save them. How He can keep them safe. And yet, often we look at what we can do for our own lives. What we can do to make our lives better. And so at this time, the disciples think that it's time for a fight. It's time for the revolution. And so Peter takes his sword out and he's going to take a swing into the darkness. In verse 10 it says, Then Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, put, up your, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Right here what Peter does is he thinks this is time for the revolution. This is time to die with Jesus like I said I was going to do. And then he swings. He hits the servant's ear. What does Jesus do? He rebukes Peter for fighting for Jesus. And then he takes, it doesn't say it in John, but we see it in Luke, that he picks up the ear and he puts it on his on, on Malchus's head, or if it was just dangling, we don't know how it is, probably gory like Jody was talking about. There's some parts of the Bible that are uh could be R-rated, right? It's just it's it's gruesome in some ways, but Jesus heals his ear. Why? Because he's doing he's taking the cup that his father had for him. He's showing that this rebellion is not going to be fought with violence. This rebellion is going to be won with love. And so he's going to make sure that one, Peter's going to be okay because if you heal the ear, that means he's never been struck. And he's going to heal this servant that was with him because Jesus is filled with love. After that, they take Jesus and they start to lead Him as Isaiah 53 will tell us like a lamb to the slaughter. In verse 12 it says, the detachment of soldiers with its commanders and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound Him and they brought Him first to Annas who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. What's kind of interesting right here as I was, I was reading up on on this uh, this lesson, is Annas was the high priest. And often they call him the high priest, but he really wasn't the high priest because Caiaphas was the high priest. And so I started going down this rabbit trail of who's Annas and who's Caiaphas. Well, if you go through this, this trail, you'll see that Annas was the high priest. Matter of fact, in about 6 AD is when they installed Annas into high priest. But it wasn't the Jewish people that installed him into being the high priest. It was the Romans. They made Annas the high priest. But also Romans didn't want there to be centralized power in one place too long. And so they made sure that Annas was not the high priest, but from 6 AD to about 15 AD. And so they went through other, other priests and they used Caiaphas, which was Annas' son-in-law. 
And so realistically, there was kind of this imbalance in, was there really a high priest? Was it really Annas? Because it wasn't, it wasn't God's people that put him in, it was the Roman government. Was it Caiaphas? Because if you're a high priest, you should have served for, full, for your lifetime. So maybe there's not really a high priest there. Or maybe it's the high priest that was bound and taken to him. I find it interesting, just about in, in Jesus' time, there was no high priest. No legitimate one. Except God does some amazing things in God's perfect timing. As Jesus comes to this earth, He's the high priest. He's our high priest. In verse 19, it says, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about His disciples and His teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I've always taught in the synagogues or in the temple. Where all the Jews come together, I've said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who have heard me. Surely they know what I said. What they see here is they're trying to they're trying to interrogate Jesus. They're trying to get him to say something that he's starting this violent rebellion. They're trying to say that he's trying to teach his disciples to rebel against them. But Jesus is saying, everything I've done, I've done openly. Everything I've said, it hasn't been secret. It's been said in the synagogues. It's been said in the temple courts. And he's kind of putting it back on them and showing them they're the ones that are doing things in secret. They're the ones that are having this this, uh, illegal interrogation at night. It's them that that are doing things wrong because they think they're the high priest. They think they're the, they're the ones in charge. And it's Jesus that is really the one in, in charge. Jesus is open that He loves us. He's open that He has a better way for us. He's open that He wants to protect us. And what's our response? Our response is often betrayal. Our response is greed. Our response is selfishness. Even those that are supposed to die for Him who's supposed to die for him. What's his response when things aren't going his way? When Jesus says, put up your sword. Maybe Peter starts to question who his Lord really is. And so as Jesus is being interrogated, we go and John flips between the two scenes of Jesus' interrogation and Peter's denial. In verse 15, Simon Peter, another disciple, We're following Jesus because the disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's court, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. And the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. And Peter replied, I am not. Do we see the contrast of Jesus who is saying, I am. I am the good shepherd to make sure I will take care of my sheep. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. And Peter's response, 
I am not. I'm not these things. But what Jesus called us to do as we talked about the vine and the branches was to remain in Him and we could be one with Him. We could be risen just like he, He's going to rise. But so often we choose to say, I am not. So often we choose to deny our Lord. So often we choose to deny our Savior. But Jesus still loves us. Jesus still puts up with us. Jesus still tries to protect us. In verse 22, it says, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. Jesus says, if I said something wrong, testify to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Look at the incredible irony here. You have Jesus bound, telling the truth. You have Peter in the background, the shadows, denying his Lord and Savior. You have a man slap Jesus across the face and say, how dare you speak like that to the high priest? And in reality, who's he slapping? He's slapping the real high priest. He's slapping our Savior. For lying? No. For telling the truth. It goes back down and we see Peter again. And for a second and a third time, he'll say these words. You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Verse 26 says, One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. If you look at Luke, it tells you whenever Peter denies it, Jesus and Peter must have been able to see each other at this time. Peter's in the distance of the courtyard, but it shows that Jesus looks at Peter. And Jesus knows that Peter denied Him once again. And Peter chose to live this life of, I am not. And what does Jesus do? Did He get angry with Peter? Did He call down curses from heaven at Peter? Did he give up everything about Peter? Say that this man was part of the rebellion. He cut off, off uh, your servant's ear. Jesus remains to have love with Peter, for Peter. Because he loves us. And he's doing what he was called to do. It was our sins that did this to Jesus. That ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins... He took the punishment that made us whole. Through His bruises, we are healed. We can deny the Lord, 
And we can exchange that for a life of weeping and bitterness. That's what Peter does right after the rooster crows. Peter runs off. How it tells us in Matthew that he runs away and he's weeping and he's bitter. And our Lord still loves us. He still wants us to come back to Him. He still wants us to put our faith in Him. And we'll see Peter is going to make a choice later on. And we'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks. That this isn't what Peter wants for his life. But we'll also talk about a man named Judas that betrayed him and chose not to come back to Jesus. Jesus is asking us to pick up our cross with Him. To follow what God to follow a Savior that wants us to be with Him forever. Jesus understands how hard it is in this world because He's our high priest that's experienced a tough life in this world. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one that's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a high priest that sympathizes with our needs, that understands that we sometimes turn away from God. And he says, come back to me. He wants to offer his mercy to us because he didn't come to save perfect people. He came for the broken. Isaiah 53.5, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. He came for broken people. And He wants you to come back to Him for mercy. Are you willing to come to our Lord and Savior? Are you willing to come to Him? He says we can be baptized into His death. And as this time goes on, next week we'll, we'll start talking about the death of, of Jesus Christ. But it didn't stop with His death because He was raised. And just as Jesus died and was raised from the dead, we that have been baptized into Him will also raise and be with Him eternally. Or maybe you just need to turn back to Christ. If you need the prayers of the church, please come while we stand and sing.